Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. I do need to take care of just a little bit of business before I get started. Somebody has a birthday this week. Now, actually there's somebody who has a birthday today whose name I'm not going to mention. Because I promised that I wouldn't. Some of y'all know who it is. Okay, well, that just gave it away, so... <laughs> so happy happy birthday to Sarah and well done to Debbie well done and uh, I want to say happy birthday this week to my grandmother Rosa who looks pretty darn good for what is it 48 something like that 58 58 something like that something like that I think there's a few uh, little cupcakes over in the hospitality area after you want to wish wish some happy birthdays and uh get a cupcake so i'm excited to get back in the book of daniel y'all i've enjoyed this i hope you've learned some things it's one of those books that you hear just a few stories out of you hear the lion's den thing again amazing we can't diminish that at all uh, you might hear the the fiery furnace thing that's cool so this week is a little different you know a good title for a story can make a big difference Back in the 70s, a guy named George wrote a first draft of a screenplay that he called The Adventures of Luke Starkiller as taken from the Journal of the Wills. Not exactly catchy. Thankfully, by the time it came out in movie theaters, they had changed the name to Star Wars. So that goes to show you what a title can do. Now, um, the original title for this message this week was Daniel and the King's Other Dream. That's about as boring as watching paint dry at the DMV. So I dug down deep and found something with a, a little more pizzazz. So we'll call it Daniel and the Werewolf King. That's a title with some teeth right there. That's, that's good stuff. Now, you're, I know what you're thinking. Uh, Michael, how, how much coffee did you drink? You've been drinking a lot of coffee, and I'll just tell you, I'm drinking the normal 6 to 12 cups a day. Uh, that's just, you know, I haven't, <laughs> that's probably not quite that much, although 6 probably happens sometimes. Yeah, so, um, but to call it Daniel and the Werewolf King, it sounds a little sensational. I think it's going to live up to the hype. You can tell. At the end of this, you'll be like, well, I think he, he didn't live up to the hype. Okay, we'll see. You, you see what you think. See if it lives up to the hype. So, um, just in case you missed some of the episodes leading up to this one, let me catch you up to speed. We are in the book of Daniel, and the events in the first half of the book of Daniel took place in a period of biblical history referred to as the Babylonian captivity. Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered this huge swath of territory. Going from, from Egypt to way over at the Persian Gulf, it would have included on a modern map most of the nations of uh, Iraq and Kuwait, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan. It would include bits of Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Egypt, and of course, Israel. Uh, Babylon became the first in a series of empires that conquered that region one after the other. And Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the planet at the time. It was the might be called the first truly great regional empire. And he was used to having his way. Absolute monarch. What he said was law. He wasn't used to anyone challenging him until he started having these 
encounters with someone who was much more powerful than himself. He starts having these prophetic dreams that concern him. He saw miracles that amazed him, and the person that helped him make sense of all of it was Daniel. Daniel was one of the Jewish survivors who was taken to Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem. He came to Babylon as a young man. When we see him in Daniel chapter 1, he might be 14, 15, 16 years old. He's a pretty young guy when the book starts. He's probably up in his 20s somewhere at this point. And Daniel was exceptionally wise, and even more important, he's exceptionally, exceptionally faithful to God. And God gave him a gift, the understanding and the interpretation of dreams and visions. That's come in handy a few times. It's going to come in handy in Daniel chapter 4, because King Nebuchadnezzar has had another dream. He had one back in chapter 2 that we covered that foretold the empires that were to come. It's pretty amazing how the prophecies lined up. Now we have uh, another dream, and we have the benefit of hearing this explained in his own words. Nebuchadnezzar wrote something kind of like an open letter, and that's what we find in Daniel chapter 4, something like an open letter that Daniel preserved in the Scriptures. So let's begin in Daniel 4, and we'll read the first nine verses, and we'll take a moment to pray. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Sounds like life's going good for Nebuchadnezzar at this point. I saw a dream, though, that made me afraid. And the thoughts of my, on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they should be ma make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me the interpretation. But at last, Daniel came in before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. Belteshazzar was the, was the Babylonian name they gave him. And I told, him, told the dream before him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles, troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. We'll stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll speak to us in this moment and show us the great truth that you rule over all and human pride is nothing but asking for trouble. God, we give you the glory and we thank you for what you're going to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this point, things are going good for Nebuchadnezzar. By his own account, he's flourishing, doing well. He's on top of the world. He is more or less the, the king of the civilized world at that point. Although, if you look at a map, you know, it's not that big of an area. But that's where stuff was going on at that time. He was a really important, powerful guy. But he had this dream. And it bothered him. He, he had a weird dream. You ever had a weird dream? You wake up, what was that about? Well, this was so strange that he decided he would call his advisors in. This has happened before, remember? It's happened before. He had a strange dream that was not, wasn't just a weird dream like the ones we would typically have. It was a prophetic dream. And I don't know why he bothers to call all the wise men of Babylon, because they couldn't do it last time, could they? Why is he even bothering calling these guys? They couldn't explain it. 
But we know the guy who can give the answer because he gets his answers from God. The king explained the dream to Daniel, and he told it kind of like this. He said, I dreamed of a tree planted in the heart of the world. It grew so tall it touched the sky. It was strong. It was beautiful. It produced so much fruit that everyone had enough. Animals found refuge under its shade, and birds lived in the branches. While I was admiring this tree, a figure descended from heaven, a watcher, a holy one. He's probably talking about an angel. And the watcher shouted, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip the leaves, scatter the fruit. Let the animals that shelter under it flee away. Let the birds in the boughs fly away. Leave the stump and roots, but bind them with a band of iron and brass. And Nebuchadnezzar explained, at this point, the words of the watcher seemed to speak less of a tree and more of a person. There was a change here. The watcher said, let him... Uh, let him stand, let the tree be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze on grass with the animals. See, notice the change. And take from him the mind of a man, and give him the mind of a beast. Let him remain like this until seven times pass over. This is the judgment decreed by the watchers and the holy ones, so that all people may know that the Most High God rules over all human empires. He gives kingdoms to those he chooses and sets over them the lowest kind of people. The last line... The last line there, let me give you a little bit of interpretation immediately there. We might say it like this, the Lord will even allow undeserving people to come to power to accomplish his greater purposes. Now, we don't like the sound of that. We only want the people that we like to be in power, but it just goes to remind us that sometimes God will allow someone that we certainly don't feel good about to be in power because he has bigger purposes that he's not always going to explain to you to me so nebuchadnezzar finishes telling the dream and looks over at daniel and daniel is just his face says it all he, he can't even speak god had given daniel the interpretation spoken it into his heart as he listened and and daniel's face is just stricken and the king looks at him and says come on come on daniel it can't be that bad don't don't give me that look it it surely can't be that bad, can it? And Daniel just says, oh, king, if only this dream was about your enemies. Mm. He starts the interpretation. He says, the tree which you saw, O king, the great and strong tree, the tree that reached the heavens, the tree that provided food and shelter, the tree is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You have become great and strong. Your empire stretches far and wide. But as the watcher from heaven declared that the tree would be chopped down, so shall you be chopped down. Your mind will change from that of a man to a beast. You will live outdoors. You will be covered in the dew of heaven. And you will graze on grass like an animal. And you will remain that way for seven years. The curse will only be broken. When you acknowledge that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of men and gives power to those whom He chooses for His purposes. Boy, you'd think Nebuchadnezzar would be quaking right then. Uh, I'm not sure he was. He didn't get it, but he's going to get it. Daniel adds a little bit of encouragement to this dire warning. He says, in the dream, the tree was chopped down, but the roots and the stump were left behind. This is a sign that someday you will be restored to your throne. 
But only after you understand the kingdom of heaven rules over the kingdom of mere mortals. This is my advice to you, O king. Turn from your pride. Humble yourself. Acknowledge God. Turn from your selfish indulgence and show mercy to the poor. And if you do those things, maybe God will have some mercy on you. Maybe it won't have to be this bad. Maybe the good times can last a little bit longer for you. Okay, we've gotten to know a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar over the last several weeks. How do you think Nebuchadnezzar is going to react to this? Do you think he's going to, think he's going to humble himself willingly? Or is he going to have to get knocked down several notches? Very dramatic you think he's going to humble himself without any problem or or is it going to take something dramatic we know nebuchadnezzar he's a drama king he's a hundred percent drama king you know it's going to get dramatic so uh, it's not like we have a whole lot of room to talk honestly i mean uh, maybe some of the younger kids in the room don't don't get this yet but if you've done a little living you know most of the harder bigger lessons of life you learn flat on your back because you've been knocked there and that's where you learn the lesson. Unfortunately, we don't learn so well when things are going good. I've had those moments lately where, hey, some things are going better. I'm like, okay, God, I'm really paying attention. I swear, you don't, you, I'm paying attention right now. I'm trying to, like, be humble right now. I don't, I don't need that. So flash forward a year. Nothing's happened to Nebuchadnezzar yet. He's walking. This is how I picture it anyway. He's walking along the balcony of his palace, and he's looking out over Babylon, and he says... Look at this spectacular city I have built with my power, by my wisdom, for my glory. Ah, you heard the phrase, pride goes before a fall? I think that's right out of the book of Proverbs. You heard the other phrase, the bigger they are, the harder they fall? Well, if you put those two phrases together, what happens next is shocking, but it's not exactly surprising. Let's read it right out of the scriptures, Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 33. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Listen to how proud he sounds. The king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses." That very hour the, world, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Okay, now you understand why I chose the sensational name Daniel and the Werewolf King because if this had, been, if this had happened like in medieval Europe or any time after people started making them dumb, scary movies... Nebuchadnezzar probably would have been said, called a werewolf, okay? Is that fair enough? Okay, I see some heads. Now, he, he's like a werewolf. I mean, his hair grew out long. His nails grew out long. You know, he looked like a werewolf or like a hillbilly that's been in the woods for way too long, which is not at all a life that, life that sounds appealing to me. Well, maybe it does. I think I would trim my nails, though. 
Uh, so yeah, he's just he looks like a werewolf. At the very moment he makes this proud claim that the greatness of Babylon is the result of his own power, of his own accomplishments, of, for his own glory, doom falls on him. While the words are still in his mouth, judgment falls out of heaven. The word, oh, heaven, some, a voice comes from somewhere and pronounces doom on him. Nebuchadnezzar, just imagine, can you imagine the scene? This is a splendid king. This is the most powerful guy on the planet. He's dressed in royal robes, and he's, on, on, so he's certainly got some advisors with him. He's not alone. I, he's got attendants, and he just drops to all fours. They probably think something's wrong with him. You know, is he, is he sick or something? You know, did he have a heart attack? Did he have a stroke? What's going on with this guy? He's just dropped in the floor. And he starts... He probably starts snarling like an animal. What does, what does a wild animal do when it's cornered? I mean, he's probably acting completely crazy and wild and awful. And they drove him out of the palace outside. He's like an animal. And he lives like this for seven years. For seven years, the king lives like an animal. What happened during those seven years? Daniel didn't write that stuff down. Why didn't you write that down, Daniel? I don't know. He didn't. We don't, we don't know for sure what went on during those seven years, but we can probably make a good guess. Uh, I've got to guess that Daniel must have spoke up and explained the situation and said, hey, y'all, I told the king like a year ago that something bad was going to happen if he didn't straighten up. And, you know, you know, our drama king, I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know him. He didn't. So he has, this is from God. You know, he's going to be like this for seven years. That I expect that Daniel did explain to somebody that this was a temporary state. And they probably rounded the king up and had him in some sort of corral. I mean, like a, like a zoo almost. And how bizarre must have that been to walk through the palace and and somewhere in some interior courtyard well there's the king how many more years is it until he turns back into a man i mean wow what a lesson you know for seven years he's like that he did have a son that could have very well reigned as regent in his place for a while i mean babylon continued on and it's it's sad the guy was king of the world. And now he's a vegan werewolf in a, in, his, in a zoo in his own palace. He, not even the cool kind of werewolf that like eats meat. If I was going to be a werewolf, I would not be a vegan werewolf. God bless the vegans. Love vegans. God bless the vegans. It leaves more meat for me. I'm a carnivore. I grew up down in a place where we clubbed whatever we were having for dinner, and we brought it back. Yep, yep, that's the way I was taught. God bless them, though. Sorry if, if that offends you. I'm really, really sorry. I will think of you the next time I'm eating a steak. I will think of you, and I'll cry a single tear for what you're missing out on. Anyway, it's just pitiful. He's pitiful. This was the man who had everything everything and if he didn't have it he could get it just by saying the word and his pride knocked him down he was warned he was warned to repent 
But that moment he said, look at all this that I have done by my power, by my wisdom, for my glory. All of this. He was knocked down. You know, I've thought about it this week. Um, pride is such a weird thing. Pride is very hard to see in the mirror. You can see it in other people. But it is so hard to see it in yourself. And uh, some things hit me this week. Like, you know, I got a new job and it's going pretty well. And a lot, lot of good things are going well. I'm like, wow, God, thank you for blessing me. But I've had those moments like, man, look, man, look what I've been able to do in this short amount of time. And I'm like, oh. then the story of King Nebuchadnezzar comes up and says, <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I do not want to eat grass for the next seven years, please. I don't want to do that. That is not, that is not my deal. I want to be humble. You know, I thank you, Lord, that things are going well. I know for a fact that things can go well and then not go well. That Been there, done that. Don't want to do that again. So, seven years pass. Nebuchadnezzar, the beast man, looks up to heaven and something changes. His understanding miraculously returns. And what do you suppose were the first words out of his mouth? He didn't, he didn't give a cry of relief. He didn't say, oh, thank goodness, that's over. He didn't, he didn't uh, let out a string of curse words. He didn't ask for clothes. He didn't ask for a barber. He didn't ask for uh, someone to give him a much overdue manicure. He didn't even ask for some decent food. The first words out of his mouth were praise. Praise, because he got it then. He understood it then. Let's just uh, let's read what what he said, you know, what he he described it. This is how he described it himself. Again, this chapter was originally written, it seems, as an open letter. Daniel 4, verses 34 through 36. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. An excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the glory of the king of heaven. Just back it up one slide there. I don't know what that was, so we got a little musical interlude there. <laughs> it wasn't there. Okay, sorry about that. That was on me. Um, so it's only when he acknowledged the Most High God, that he regained himself. It's, it's only when he acknowledged that his kingdom came from God that he res was restored to his kingdom. He finally recognized this great truth that has been running through this chapter and for a few chapters now, that God allows empires and rulers to rise for his purposes. Does that mean he approves of them? No. There has never been a nation that consistently honored God. Now, there are times and moments where nations honor God. There are times in the history of America where God has been honored. I'd, I'd love to see some more of that. But consistently? No, not at all, unfortunately. Uh, the same is true of Israel. 
Israel, you look at the Old Testament. Israel, God's chosen people, they did not consistently honor God. He could not approve of Israel, his own people. Rarely has there been a leader that has honored God with any consistency. You think of King David, right? Man after God's own heart. The man who in the Old Testament maybe knew and loved God in a closer way than anybody. You read his story? David really messed up several times. Moses blew it. Blew it. Uh, Abraham, he messed I mean, these guys, pr- Daniel's one of the few people that we know much about in the Bible who didn't really have some serious episode of sin. Daniel, maybe Joseph, really didn't get way off. I mean, one thing that I love about the Bible is that it shows its heroes warts and all. I don't know if you spent much time reading any other holy books out there or or records from the ancient world, but they usually make their heroes out to be heroes, not flawed heroes. But the Bible shows these people who were real. As for Nebuchadnezzar, most of his life he was evil, pompous, and murderous. Do you think God looked down at Nebuchadnezzar and says, there's a feller after mine own heart? No! Nebuchadnezzar was awful for most of his life. And yet, he came to power. Not because God approved of him, but because there was a purpose. And finally, the king understood. He's been under the impression all this time that the Babylonian Empire was a result of his power, his intelligence, his tenacity. But it wasn't. He got this position because God allowed it. God blessed him. This is the last time we see Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. And some of us might say, well, we've seen all of Nebuchadnezzar we want to see. He's been kind of a problem. True. He's going to be briefly referenced in the next chapter, but this is the last time we know anything about him directly. And uh, let me just say, we don't know much of what happens. about. We don't know anything from the Bible about what happens next with Nebuchadnezzar. Something seems to be going on, though. His story, when we look into secular history, we can get some clues. Now, let me be very plain here. The Bible does not have to be backed up by some historical document in order to be true. Bible doesn't have to be backed up. What you will find, however, is how consistently reliable history agrees with the Bible. There have been lots of cities that are mentioned in the Bible that historians and archaeologists thought, ah, that's just made up, and then you know what happens eventually, they find them. Pretty much every significant location mentioned in the Bible has been located by archaeologists. It's there. It is historically verified, and history agrees with the Bible so much. It's one of the reasons critics of the Bible especially don't like the book of Daniel. Because Daniel too accurately prophesies events that can be verified pretty easily. The only answer to the book of Daniel is, oh, somebody must have made it up after the fact. Well, if you made up something after the fact, would you make it so weird as this? Probably not. You wouldn't make that up. But if you do look into some of those records, you'll find something interesting about King Nebuchadnezzar. During the first 11 years of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, There are lots of records of his accomplishments. 
he was one of those guys who he wrote his name on about everything that he had built. He, he inscribed tablets and had them attached to everything he built. He's like some of, some of the old-timey churches where my roots are, that there's a brass plaque on everything. Anybody else grow up in a brass plaque church? Probably a lot of us did, and you know what? Love them. God love them. But I'll tell you this. Once you put a brass plaque on something that has somebody's granddaddy's name on it, you can't never get rid of it. Ever. Even if it's broken down, you can't get rid of it. So that's you don't see any brass plaques around here. First of all, we don't budget for brass around here. We're not really a brass kind of folks. You know, we maybe we'll write on something with a sharpie if you really have to. But we ain't putting nobody. Hey, if you want, okay, there you go. We're, yep. Uh, that just goes to show that we're not fancy. Um, if for those on the podcast. <laughs> We've had a little leak, and part of the ceiling just kind of came down there, as if in response. <laughs> so, if you came for a fancy church, um, that's not us. If you'd like to help me put a ceiling tile back, I'll definitely take your help, though, uh, if anybody wants to help me with that. we got a little leak here. Anyway, okay, back to where I was. Nebuchadnezzar put his name on everything. For the first 11 years that he was king, he seemed... To have all these accomplishments that he was really, really proud of. But after then, nothing. What happened? Huh. He doesn't brag anymore. Something happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He stopped writing his name on everything. Hmm. Interesting. The Greek historian Megasthenes, who lived a little while after, mentions that Nebuchadnezzar experienced the time when he seemed to be possessed. <laughs> What could that be about? Um, there is a cuneiform tablet in the British Museum that seems to corroborate the madness of the king. It refers to the, a time when King Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. Um, we see from records that the early part of his reign includes many public exaltations of Babylonian gods. But at a certain point, nothing. No more. He doesn't seem to talk about the Babylonian gods anymore. Seems like something big happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar really became an honest-to-goodness believer in the true God, but man, something happened. And the Bible tells it. The historical documents certainly suggest that. They agree with the Bible. So did, did Nebuchadnezzar? Did he finally get it? I don't know. If you get to heaven before me and you see Nebuchadnezzar, tell him what up from me. All right, you just say, how you doing? Nebuchadnezzar, what was it like being a w weird werewolf? Um, and uh, yeah, I, maybe we'll see him. Maybe we'll see him. I don't know. I do know this, though. The Lord is still in the business of transforming lives. He's still transforming lives today. He'll transform your life. And um, he sent Jesus for that very purpose. That's what a proof to send your son to be a human, to suffer, to die to rise again, that people might be turned from darkness to light. You, you see, we, we aren't so different than Nebuchadnezzar. Part of the process of this spiritual awakening that has to happen in us, part of being born again, as we call it, is understanding that God is in charge, not us. He knows best, not us. Nothing that we have accomplished... Nothing that we have 
is purely the result of our own strength or cleverness. Everything is a gift from God. It is from Him and for Him. I heard somebody quote the line, the, the money is the root of all evil. Not actually true. The love of money is the root of all evil. There's some guys in the Bible who had a lot, but they knew where it came from. Whether you got a lot or a little, know where it comes from. It comes from God. If God has put you in a position of power or influence, know where it comes from. It comes from God. Everything you got. You got anything good in your life? It comes from God. And it's for His glory. The only sensible thing to do when faced with a God who rules over everything is surrender. Now, it's hard for me. The idea of surrender, I don't like. That's why the kids don't like to play board games with me. Me and Elijah were playing air hockey yesterday at this little kid, this kid's birthday party we went to, and uh, we walked back over there, and and Katie said, "Did you go easy on him?" I said, "Do you want my son to be a weakling?" Um, of course, I didn't go easy on him, but he almost beat me that one time out of four. Uh, I heard his I heard his little finger. He said, "says the guy who knocks the air puck air, air hockey puck over my head." Anyway. I don't like the idea of surrender. It's not in me. I don't know when to give up. You know that story, Kenny Rogers, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. I don't know when to fold them. I don't know when to walk away. And I don't run. I don't think I could if I tried. I'm pretty out of shape. So the idea of surrender, I don't like it. But surrender to Almighty God, I don't care if you're the king of the earth. You better surrender to Him. And you better acknowledge that He is first. And maybe the thing that we need to do right now is a pride check. We need to do a pride check right now in our own hearts. Let's just pray right now. Heavenly Father, would you reveal to us in this moment the places where the ugliness of pride dwell in our hearts. God, awaken us, please, to those places in our lives where we think we're in charge, where we think we're the ones who have made it. God, the places in our lives where we look down on others, the places in our lives where we feel like we're better. Convict us, Lord. Cut us right to our very heart. Lord, I want to repent of the ugliness of pride in my own life. God, I I repent of the places in my life where I feel like I've accomplished it because I can't do anything without you. Lord, I repent in the places in my life where maybe I haven't, haven't been kind to others. God, I repent knowing that your kindness has been so good to me. God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. And I want to pray for every soul listening to this, whether in person or later on, anybody who's not humbled themselves before you and trusted in Jesus, God, would you please prick their hearts, awaken their hearts to that truth. May they trust in you. God, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Lord willing, we're going to be back in the book of Daniel, chapter 5 next week. You've heard the phrase, the, the handwriting's on the wall. You didn't know that came out of the Bible. So uh, read ahead. Check that out. It's pretty wild and pretty weird, and we're going to see some more prophecy fulfilled. All right, that's all I got for today. God bless you guys. Remember to go eat a cupcake and wish some folks some happy birthdays, and uh, we'll see you next time.